Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Here's the plan. We're giving you a pod every day until the national championship game. I didn't tell Stephen and Nathan that. I just announced it on the podcast, and now they can argue with it. So, like, if they need to, you know, eat or sleep or something, I'll just get somebody and do an interview with them. But we are going Hard all the way until the end of the season, which is why we're bringing you a Sunday podcast. Doug Lamarie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird here on Buckeye Talk. We did the postgame pod right after the semifinal, but we didn't get to our 500 questions after that. So I went through two-thirds of the questions so far. I picked out 10. 10 of the best about the game, what's going on, things like what were we, what do we have wrong about that game? If there was a Heisman vote now, what would it be? Justin Fields in the draft. Is he the best quarterback in Ohio State history? What's Ryan Day standing in the coaching world now? Did this shift the power of the best programs in the country? The Trey Sermon transformation. Will they have anything left for Bama? Um, Will 49 points be enough to beat Bama? And then a couple questions at the end that I'm going to touch on that are going to become poll questions for our texters in a survey for later in this week. Cause there's a lot of stuff about what this win means to the program, to fans, to the history of Ohio state. And I want to get into that for the next eight, nine days, but we will send out a survey about that. So if you want to be part of that, this is a great time to try. If you're listening and you never tried it, honestly, I don't know why you wouldn't try it now. I get why you didn't try before because whatever, but we have more people who listen to the podcast than we do who subscribe to the text. So when else would you give it a shot? It's free. You can get it for free until they play in the national championship game, and then you can decide. Send a text to 614-350-3315. Just do it right now. Hit pause. Send the text. You get signed up, and it's a 14-day free trial. And it's 4 bucks a month. So do that. We would highly encourage it. Thanks to everybody who has joined on text recently. Thanks to anyone, everybody who joined a long time ago. We're doing rapid fire. Everybody gets one thought. No jumping back in on a topic once your time is done. If somebody else says something, we got to move on. We're going to do it quick. And then later in the podcast, we'll talk about how nobody has slept. I didn't sleep, but at least I was in Ohio the whole time. But I don't want to lead with the terrible travel lives of the comatose zombie like Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. We'll get to that in the middle. We'll talk about football first. 
And we want to talk about what's going on with Tom Herman and Jim Harbaugh. We're all going to have an opinion on that. But first, we're going to do this. First question. Doug, what did you have wrong about this game from the 5-1-3 and from the 2-1-6? Why did nobody see this coming? I also picked out some funny little things of like people being drunk and nuts and excited and ripping us. Not Steven. Ripping me and Nathan. I have a little collection of those that we will run through. So this question is not about Steven is right, Nathan is wrong, which we do have to hit a little harder than we hit on the postgame podcast. We have to give Steven his due, but we'll do that later. This is more about what was it exactly in that game that created the situation that nobody really expected. So Nathan, if you had to sort of pinpoint it a little bit, what was the thing that you were off about the most in picking Clemson when it turned out to be an easy Ohio State win than I'll go to? I thought Clemson's defense was better than it was. I thought they would be more disruptive than they were and uh, as opposed to not being disruptive at all and just kind of uh, folding like wet napkins for a good portion of that first half. And I, I don't say that to um, to diminish what Ohio State was doing offensively because that was the other part of it too, that it was, it was me maybe overestimating Clemson's defense and also underestimating the way that Ohio State would be able to come in and fire on all cylinders in a way that we hadn't seen all season. I mean, to me, it's the other side of the ball that I didn't expect the Ohio State defense to do that. In a world where they don't have a Chase Young, in a world where they don't have Jeff Okuda and Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett back from that secondary last year, the way they were able to throw a monkey wrench into the Clemson offensive plan after Clemson got rolling early, and then they stopped it. And I think Kerry Combs, we talked about it earlier in the week, Kerry Combs did have a really good game calling things but as we talked about in the postgame pod they just had some guys step up so you know I think of the two numbers and I'm trying to think I think I predicted 34 28 so I think mine was 32 28 something like that so really I was in the ballpark on the Clemson side of the score it was the Ohio State score that I was like nowhere close on but there's still a part of me that, okay, it's like, and Steven was certainly more in the shootout thing. It's like, all right, well, it was a shootout only on one side. And that I think the idea that Clemson got rolling and then Ohio State stopped it. And they did it with a good plan. They did it with different guys stepping up, making tackles when they needed to. Justin Hilliard, Pete Werner making tackles. Josh Proctor making tackles. Sean Wade making tackles. They stepped up with guys getting enough pressure to throw Trevor Lawrence off a little bit. I just thought, I thought Clemson would be more consistently efficient. And then even though they didn't have quite the outside receivers they had last year, I did think Clemson, you know, Travis Etienne hit them early for some stuff. And then they kind of shut that down. They didn't have the giant plays, the Trevor Lawrence crazy runs like a year ago, the Travis Etienne turning a little screen into a 75 yard touchdown. Clemson didn't strike that way either. And so I think the idea that, I mean, because after the first drive, right, the first drive was kind of like, okay, well, I, I mean, who didn't see that coming? Like Clemson did whatever it wanted to do and marched down the field. And if you would have shown me that drive and then said, predict how many points Clemson scores in this game, it would have started with a four. So that idea that the Ohio State defense locked in, that's what I missed, that they had that capability. Because the one thing of the Ohio State offense was – we had seen flashes of capability. It was a matter of, was it going to happen? Was it all come to get going to come together? Nathan, as you said, Clemson's defense is ranked number one. What did it all happen? I just didn't know that we had ever seen 
from the individual talent standpoint that the Ohio State defense had that in them. So, Stephen, you were more on it, but what was it? If it's more about why did the general public, why was the consensus missing? What do you think was the 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 thing that the consensus missed on the most? That Justin Fields had fallen off a cliff and was no longer that good. I, I think that's where it all kind of stems from is that Northwestern game maybe stuck with people a little more than it should have. He didn't play well, yes, but also the play calling wasn't that great. Um, he forced some things and he was missing Chris Olave. And I think people use that one game as for why he's not going to be that great in a college football playoff setting when a championship is on the line again. Because the other you know, five games of the season, he was actually pretty good outside of the second half of the Indiana game. And so we just kind of took, okay, that Northwestern game is what Justin Fields is now, and Trevor Lawrence is going to wipe the floor with that. And that's not the case. I think Justin's body of work, body of work has kind of proven that that was, a, was, I guess, a blip in his resume and not something that people should be more worried about. And that was the host. And Ryan Day kind of alluded to that, too. Justin Fields saw all that, and people had kind of given up on him. Yeah, I think that's right, too. I think that's a good one, too. Number two, question number two from Jackson in the 650. Where were the weak spots in our play? I'm too blinded by joy to see anything but gorgeous, beautiful, poetic revenge. Nathan, and and I think a reasonable answer to this question is I don't know or there were none. I'll go first. That's kind of my answer. Like, I, I don't know exactly. Yes, they missed a couple tackles here and there, but it wasn't consistent. Yes, they hit a couple throws, but they never really, I mean, Clemson did. They never really got super burned by it. That I think is what stood out the most is, and we have got, we have a lot of texture comments that are kind of along the lines of like, what a complete, it's the most complete game I've seen them play in X, you know, like that part of it, Nathan, is it's, it's, it's pretty complete as much as there were highs, Justin Fields throwing six touchdown passes. There were not a lot of holes in my opinion either. So I don't have a good answer to this. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's it, there are also things that go wrong in a game, maybe even sometimes not because of something a team does poorly. But like there was there was no real adversity the Ohio State had to face in this game. I mean, the one interception came when they were up 35 to 14 and driving to start the second half. And it came actually in a way that, that interception came the way that you would want interception to happen almost like they drove the length of the field, used up more clock. Uh, through it, you don't want like, to give up an uh, interception in the end zone when you're in, in position to score, but at least then you're making Clemson have to drive the length of the field at that point. It just, from a game control standpoint, that even almost like played into their favor only is the kind of turnover you would want to have, although you wouldn't want to have a turnover, if that makes sense. So uh, it, it's just, it, th- that was the thing. Like it was one of those games um, where everything just rolled their way. You, you know, it was almost the opposite in a way of, of Indiana, where again, give Indiana some credit. Or, or, or I guess maybe even a better example would be that the second half of the Rutgers game, right? Where just like all sorts of nonsense was happening and the ball just kept bouncing the other team's way and, and points were being scored but didn't necessarily like reflect the, the relative skill of those two teams. And this was a, a game where I thought everything just bounced Ohio State's way, almost, almost exclusively. Any, any weak spots, Stephen? If I had to be picky, I would just say how the defense starts a game. Um, especially on third down when you have a chance to get off the field and, you know, a defensive back gives up a big play downfield when it's clear that they maybe need to get off the field at this point. That's the, but that's probably just being picky. Those are wide receivers that just made plays. Yeah. Jackson, I think your gorgeous, beautiful, poetic revenge uh, is not blinded boy joy. I think, I think there's not a lot 
There's not a lot of nip, uh, to nitpick here. So, uh, all right. Question number three from the 316 from Billy in Kansas. Am I wrong in thinking that for better or for worse, this should be a game worthy of Heisman consideration for both Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence? Or should we as fans just accept that it's a regular season award and bowl game performances should not be a factor in the biggest award in college football? So we have talked about this before. The Heisman will be given out on Tuesday. So the voting is done. I think we did have some questions from people about how this actually might affect it. The voting is done. The voting was before this. We've talked about... Um, the idea that this would have been a great year for the Heisman because normally the Heisman is, is given out before any postseason games are played. So now it's even like, this is going to even feel weirder, right? It feels weird enough when you give a Heisman and then someone goes out and has a great postseason performance. Now they've had the great postseason performance. Justin Fields just threw six touchdowns against the number one ranked defense in the country in a college football semifinal and he's not even a finalist. So it's like you haven't given it out yet, but yet this didn't count. So I don't want to answer Billy's question exactly. I want – because I think we all agree they should include it. Steven, you made a great point. It, they don't differentiate really in the stats or anything in college football. So I don't want to recover that ground. Steven, if, if, if they did what we think they should – and nobody voted for the Heisman until the day after the national championship game. Would Justin Fields be in the Heisman mix right now? How would this have affected his candidacy if it wasn't already over? Um, Trevor, I'm just, who would be a lock still? Trevor would be a lock still. I think Devonta Smith would still be a lock. And so it Mac comes Jones. down. Mac right, Jones. Yeah, Mac Jones is probably a lock. So it comes down to did – Florida having all those opt-outs hurt Kyle Trask. Well, but I don't want to talk about – Kyle Trask can cram it. I don't care. Talk about Justin. Justin it, throwing six touchdowns in this game. What would that have done to the overall perception of his season as a Heisman candidate? Because as it is, he finished seventh. So, okay, yeah. now you add in six touchdowns against Clemson. How, how much stronger would his case have been? It's a stronger case for sure because – I think part of the reason why he's not is he didn't play well in the second half of the Indiana game. And then the Northwestern game, he didn't play well, which is the part. Two most that's the whole reason. Just, that's the whole, what do you mean part of it? He was great. Right. And the other four, that's the whole reason. So that's right. why he's not, but the way he plays against played against Clemson on that stage against that quality of team probably trumps those two things. And Nathan, so how do you think it enough. would have factored in? How would it factor I think, in? I think it's probably enough that would have pushed him from like seventh to fifth in the voting. Maybe now, whether that would have been enough, based on the numbers to make him a finalist, I don't know, but I think it certainly would have enhanced his, I mean, to have a game like that on that stage against a team of that caliber, I think would have turned some heads. Well, of course you guys, I think you guys are underselling it. You don't think he might've finished like second. No. Why? Because it's still, you're still talking about a small sample size where there were enough games that kind of, I think, pulled down his candidacy in the first place. That's why he was seventh to begin with. I don't think he he's had one and a half games. Up. He had one and a half games that pulled down his candidacy. Right. And then he just dropped but one, one, of the one and a half out of six, like one and a half Which out is, of six. It was I, still a huge chunk of his season. And it's not like Mac Jones didn't play well the other night too. I mean, he's not going to just all of a sudden plummet down the the standings and Devonta Smith, like those guys are still going to get, we're still going to get the same support or close to it that they were getting already. So well, I don't Justin think that he have finished ahead of Trevor Lawrence in the Heisman voting after this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Which is why I brought up Kyle Trask. I think Kyle Trask gets knocked out of this in year four. 
are probably Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence. I, I think, think he does. This, I, I think this had a chance to wipe out almost everything. It's one of those things. The whole COVID thing obviously has affected the whole season. But I think you can view COVID and the effect of COVID through different lenses, depending on kind of your mood. So I think there's a world where if Justin Fields does this before votes are in, and obviously you're not going to vote between the semifinal and the final, although Heisman's trust is so ding dong. Maybe they would. It's like, okay, have your votes in after the semifinal. We'll count half the postseason, not the whole postseason. I think maybe, not that you would have felt sorry for Justin Fields, but you would have said, man, what am I doing? The Big Ten championship game, he doesn't have his best receiver. They've been had three games canceled. The guy couldn't get in a rhythm. The Michigan State game, he played without his head coach. His position coach was out for a while. This is bonkers. Yes, I know all these other guys have put up great stats, and I know they're great players, but so is he. And so I'm almost going to ignore the Northwestern game, and I'm going to count the Clemson game quadruple. Because if he had gotten to play Illinois and Maryland and Michigan, I think he would have done to them what he did to Clemson because those teams aren't as good as Clemson. So this poor guy is a tremendous player. He finished third last year. And he had his season screwed up more than anybody else, even more than Trevor Lawrence, who actually got it. This guy's season has been wrecked. But when he had the chance to be excellent, he seized it. At the most important time on the biggest stage, he played as well as any quarterback has played this season. Now, Devontae Smith, he just, he just might be a, a special case. That guy just might be absurdly talented and productive and he might be the runaway winner but i i don't know that people i don't know that you couldn't make a case for justin that wouldn't just like of course it would be better but i'm not so sure there wouldn't be people who would like sit down after today and say like man you know what alabama's got a bunch of guys they have three heisman candidates and quarterbacks more important than receiver and i don't know that any quarterback in the country could have done what justin fields did against clemson I think that's my Heisman Trophy winner. And it's nuts, and I know it's nuts, but we talk about highlights all the time. We talk about big stages all the time. Man, that was like highlight filled on the biggest of stages. And it was an un... And it got hurt. Like the whole story is there. And I just... I, I just think it would have ended up... I don't think it would have moved them from seventh to fifth. I don't think it would... I think it might have moved them from seventh to like third or maybe second because Trevor Lawrence is going to finish second. Trevor Lawrence is going to finish second. I'm almost sure of that. And right now, anybody who's writing in Trevor Lawrence has to go, Oh my God, Justin Fields kind of kicked his butt. What am I doing? That's part of it too. I think he might have rocketed up ballots, rocketed up from seventh to, to not winning it because Devontae Smith is absurd. But I don't know. Pretty high. I think he would have rocketed up some ballots. I just don't know if he would have rocketed up enough to jump all the way from seventh to that kind of like second, third combination. I still think those two Alabama guys are getting – I mean, I was seeing a lot of people on Twitter uh, the other day during that Alabama-Notre Dame game being like, Boy, I really screwed up voting for two out of three Alabama guys in my top three. It should have been three out of three or stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like the people were 
people were impressed with what Alabama's Heisman candidates did in that game too. So that's a factor here. You can't take out the fact that those guys were also performing on a big stage too. All right. Another Justin question. Question four from the five, one, three, should Justin Fields be drafted over Trevor Lawrence? Listen, we're not draft experts. We don't study these guys as NFL draft people, but we'll give a five minute opinion. And people are talking about this. Steven, where are you on the Justin Trevor NFL thing? Trevor's the number one pick and Justin Fields is the number two pick. It's not, it's that simple at this point. Is that your opinion or is that you're just, you're reflecting what is kind of the obvious consensus out there. Or if you were, if Steven means was named the GM. Okay. So urban Meyer gets hired yeah. by the Jaguars, which we're not going to talk about because uh, that's who knows what's going to happen. Tired of, yeah, it's but every other day urban Meyer, you and urban have a great relationship. He respects your football knowledge. Urban Meyer says, I'm not coming unless I get means as my GM. And then urban says, you know what? I, I trust my football knowledge, but Stephen, frankly, I trust yours more. You picked Ohio State to be Clemson. It's your call. Forget what everybody else says. It's your call, Trevor or Justin. I think Trevor, because I think he might be more ready to step into a job right away. I think Justin might need a year to sit just because of some of the things we talked about all season with sometimes he, now he didn't do it on Saturday. He was going through his progressions and everything that was maybe a negative about him didn't show up, but that's still a, the, the proof's kind of in the pudding there. Why right? I, I think Justin might need a year to sit and Trevor might be able to step in right away the way Joe Burrow was able to step in right away in Cincinnati. And that's what might, and when I'm that bad and I just need some type of hope for my team, I think you got to lean that way. All right, Nathan. So Steven turns it down. And Urban says, I, I don't know that guy with the beard that well, but I've heard good things about him. Baird, do you want it? Do you want to be the GM of the Jaguars? It's up to you. You make the call. Who you got? I, I just I don't think I can give like an unbiased opinion here. I just know so much more about Justin Fields and and have seen his intangibles in a way that I haven't seen Trevor Lawrence's intangibles on a day by day basis. I will I mean I I'm not, I think I would maybe take Justin Fields. And, and part of it is just from what we saw the other night, the, this is not the first time he's had to just play with his guts and get through a game. Not, but it's the, usually when we say that, it's like guys who are like these, these gritty guys and they're just like uh, scrapping and clawing and finding some way to like, you know, running some little option things or whatever. This guy's who knows what was going on in his, his rib cage at that point. And he's like throwing bombs and throwing lasers and um, I just all those intangibles to me, I just think that right now there's probably an NFL GM who knows that Trevor Lawrence is going number one and is like super excited because he knows that gives him a chance to trade up to number two. Or maybe it's maybe it is the Jets or whoever's going to have number two. For what it's worth, though, I, I don't want it to come make it come off that. I'm just it's just easily Trevor Lawrence, though. This no, is, you said Trevor. No, you already got. I know, I know. I, know. I just don't want to make enough make... love because you picked Ohio State and everybody loves you. <laughs> you you took Clemson's quarterback number one, so you don't get a caveat. I, but but I do think it's like when if I'm if I'm an if I'm an NFL talent evaluator and I'm watching that game, I'm watching all of the things he did and all the throws he's made over the course of a season. They're NFL throws, and then watching what I don't think was by any means any kind of an act or overly dramatic whatever when he got the crap beat out of him the other night and watching him you know persevere through that 
Um, I mean, to, to me, just watch the video, watch the interview video at the end of the game where he comes in and it's just like, ugh, and like just, yeah, just like falls apart into that chair, like, and then does it again when he gets up. Like that's just that's that to me tells me like whatever other little wrinkles. I need to figure out to iron out his game. I can do that, but I've got something pretty substantial to start with. So Urban would never hire me, so I'm not going to make myself answer that question. So I'm off the hook. There was the – so preseason, and I just like to follow the, the the draft guys on Twitter. I think it's interesting, and and they're interesting. And you get a vibe. You get some vibe of it because they talk to scouts and assistant GMs or whatever else. Preseason, it was like, yes, it's Trevor, but there were some Justin people. And I think, Stephen, kind of your thing, it wasn't like 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think right now it's not 100%. I think if you polled 32 GMs, I'm not sure all 32 would take Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields. I'm sure more more than half would. But I don't know. I don't know that there's not some people who think, no, Justin. Because I think to your point, Nathan, deep ball there. Everyday accuracy on normal throws there. Like the sideline out across the field, the NFL throw, there. Poise, calm, cool, there. Off-field, good guy, face of the franchise, there. Leader, there. Mobility in the pocket, ability to run and escape, able to run on called runs if you want to run that kind of offense, there. Uh, he, He checks all the boxes. As does Trevor Lawrence, as does Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor hits everything too. And I did feel like, and I don't think this should be held against Justin, but when Dwayne Haskins left, I said, I'll be curious to see if it's more like, did Ryan Day make Dwayne Haskins look really good or did Dwayne Haskins make Ryan Mm -hmm. Day look really good? And we have a very clear answer to that at the moment of they worked in concert in 2018 And it was a quarterback who executed a plan and all credit to Dwayne and all credit to Ryan for calling it. But if you're leaning one way or the other, Mm -hmm. who was more important there? It's obvious it's Ryan day. I hope nobody in the NFL holds Dwayne Haskins NFL struggles against Justin with that kind of thinking like, Oh, well his play caller was really smart and put him in good situations because Justin and Dwayne are completely different quarterbacks. And it's not fair to hold that evaluation against Justin. So I'm not suggesting that at all. And I hope it doesn't leak in, but I thought Justin's play caller had a better plan on Friday night than Trevor's play caller did. Which I, which means what? I don't know. It's not an excuse. I mean, everything works together. Just as you said, Stephen, the play calling of the Northwestern game wasn't so hot, and Justin mm-hmm. took a lot of that heat. But if from an NFL evaluation, I would not, and, and Trevor still for, threw for like 400, I would not like do a head, and nobody would do like a head to head. Well, Justin beat Trevor this time, so I'm taking Tr- Justin over him. But I do think it had moved from, preseason they're together trevor has the lead to by last week it was like oh zach wilson from byu is probably going ahead of justin and now it feels like what like anybody who was tweeting that last week is like deleting their tweets and it's like oh you mean like the six foot guy from byu who's like tate martell on steroids is that guy going ahead of justin it's like no no he's not going ahead of justin justin is going to be the second best player in this draft and it's going to be very interesting if the jets pull the trigger and I think they very well might. They also might take a godfather offer, try to keep Darnold for a year. And if somebody wants to move up with a godfather offer, the team to watch there, and I don't know exactly where the Panthers are going to wind up, Matt Rule and Ryan Day are buds. 
And Matt, Matt Rule in Carolina is going to know every single thing about Justin Fields from Ryan Day. And Ryan Day is going to have nothing but great things to say about Justin. So I think Carolina is interesting to watch in this scenario because the Jets could decide, well, you know what? Let's take, we'll move back two spots, take Jamar Chase or take Penny Sewell or something to help Darnold and take the extra two first round picks Carolina is giving us and try that instead. And maybe Atlanta, maybe Carolina says, we got to go get this guy. But I do think in the end, Justin clearly is going to be the second quarterback off the board at the worst. Steven, go ahead. One thing that, um, well, first and foremost, uh, with the play calling thing, I mean, Pat Mahomes' play call is pretty good too, and we we see what they're doing. But more importantly, I think if this thing starts to, if Justin wins a national championship and it's inching back closer to either one of these guys can be the number one pick, it's not fair, but I could see a world where the deciding factor is durability because the last three years of Justin Fields' career where he was a starting quarterback – at the end of the season, he was hurt in high school last year and this year. And I mean, he's toughed it out and played through every, not his high school year. Cause that was a broken finger. You can't play through that, but these last two times he's played through it. And that until we talked toughness, that's a great quality trait to have as a quarterback, but you'd rather not have to tough it out and just be healthy. And Trevor hasn't had any injuries. Yeah. I think durability plays in fields favor. Almost. I know that he has been prone to bumps and bruises and things like that, but like you say, he keeps playing through them. I think that if I'm an NFL evaluator, again, I see that and I don't see a guy who has to miss long stretches of time. You don't, I mean, he would have played through that broken finger if it was up to him in high school. I went down there and talked to people like they, they had to like take the ball away from him multiple times because he's out there playing catch before he's supposed to be. So, I mean, I I think that it actually could, that be one of the things that as, as I was talking about before sort of, starts to get some NFL GMs and, and scouts kind of enamored with him a little bit to watch him and just kind of his intestinal fortitude through some of this. Yeah, but with a team who's invested millions of dollars and you pull you if they thought that maybe you messed up something in your knee or maybe you have a broken rib. Well, it's one of those things. It's a balance that they want you to be tough, but they also want to protect you because they have an investment in you. So, yeah, I mean, when you get to that stage. Um, I do think probably the NFL opinions have coalesced around Trevor Lawrence, and that's not going to change anything. Somebody I follow is saying, like, you know, last year there was a period where it's like it felt like oh, it's Burrow, it's Burrow, it's Burrow. And then there was a little bit of like, oh, is it two ones? It maybe two. And it's like you you chatter about it for a little bit. And then in the end, it's it's Burrow. And then two was the next quarterback off the board. And then um, but I do think Justin is at a point where I think he goes two. I don't know that anybody passes on him. I think you trade out of him because you can get something for him because Justin Fields is an NFL franchise quarterback. Uh, next Justin question, then we'll take a quick break. Question number five, and again, 614-350. I know there's some of you out there who heard me do the bit at the beginning and were like, God, Doug, shut up about the texting. And then you've been a little bit in the back of your head. It's like, well, it's free. Should I try it? It's like, I can't remember the number. So now I'm going to tell you again. Second chance, 614-350-3315. Text that in right now. From the 626, Doug, that performance by Justin Fields solidifies him as the best quarterback in Ohio State history, right? I think it does in the 626. Here's the thing I'll say about this. Yes, I think that's right. And it depends. It's, it's, It's one of those things. What does best mean? Is it most talented? Is it winningest? Is it sort of like like favorite for a long time? Is it, you know, like, because there's a lot of stuff you can go into. I mean, Troy, Troy Smith murdered Michigan and won the Heisman. 
And if Troy Smith had won the national title in 2006, I mean, it'd be hard to get past Troy, man. Because that guy was a starter for like two and a half years. That would be hard to get past Troy. But he didn't win the national title. And so I'm a little bit... The, the point I want to make about this is if, if they win the national title with another Justin Fields before, it doesn't even matter what. Justin Fields could, could do nothing but be on the field and they win the national title and he's going to be the quarterback who led him to a national title. The recent national titles for Ohio state have not really been quarterback national titles. 2014 JT Barrett's great. He's an all-time Buckeye. Cardale Jones is an all-time story, but that's not why they won, right? They won because of Zeke. They won because of Joey Bosa and Michael Thomas and stuff like that. Right. 2002 Craig Krenzel, all-time Buckeye. Everybody loves him, but they, did they win because of quarterback play? Or did they win because of that defense? And they won because of Maurice Claret, right? They won. So Craig Krenzel, great, but not, you know, I mean, not, not an all-time great college quarterback. 68, super softs. Rex Kern, great leader, tremendous player, all-time legend. Jim Tressel's favorite player. But, but did they win? Like, maybe he didn't win back in the day because of the quarterback, right? But, I mean – you know, he was he was one of the best players in college football, but you also won because of like Jack Tatum and you won because of Jim Stillwagon and you won because of that defense and you won because they were so physical and like it's not quite, you know what I mean? So when you think about, okay, Rex Kern, title, quarterback, Craig Krenzel, Cardale Jones slash JT Barrett, none of those guys are on the talent level of Justin. And then when you talk about the guys who kind of were on the talent level of Justin, Troy, not as physically gifted, but in his own way, certainly a very talented college quarterback. Um, Braxton Miller, Dwayne Haskins, Terrell Pryor, Joe Germain. You know, you start running through some of the, some of the more like Art Schleister, the, some of the more gifted, talented quarterbacks. Those guys didn't win national titles. So now you start bringing it all together and it's like, okay, well, Justin is probably – Without a doubt, I don't know that you can say probably and then without a doubt right after it. Three, two, one. Justin is the most talented quarterback in Ohio State history. Justin probably is like the most then like productive when you do completion percentage and yards per attempt and yards per game and passing and running and winning. He's got all that. If he also adds a national title on top of that, on top of the fact that he's like a modern NFL quarterback in this college system with a play caller who utilizes all his skills at a program that over the years has often been behind the times with how it uses quarterbacks. And therefore often when Ohio state was great, their best player wasn't a quarterback. Now their best player is undoubtedly a quarterback. This team is all about the quarterback and he's awesome. So to the answer of the question, I don't want to give a final answer now until I see if he wins a national title. But I think even without a national title, I think the answer is probably like 90%. Yes. Justin would be viewed as the best quarterback in Ohio state history. And if he wins it, it is a hundred percent. And man, you are going to have a hard time getting past him. If Justin Fields wins a national title with the type of player that he is, and the way that he is used in this system and the, the skills that he has shown, 
he's in the conversation 50 years from now. And there's going to be somebody saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but this guy. And somebody who watched Justin Fields play is going to say, no, Justin Fields. Justin Fields. Now, if he doesn't win the national title, it'll be a harder case to make. But that's that's what's on the line for this guy. Because, Steven, I mean, just like you watch the guy play and come on. I mean, it's 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 hard to go anywhere else. It's I think most talented. It's between him and Terrell Pryor. And him winning the national championship just makes him everything that we thought Terrell Pryor was going to be. And Justin throws it literally Wait, five times better than Terrell Pryor. Right. So yeah. Um, go ahead, Nathan. I was just saying, I think it's important that you brought up too that like it's the modern quarterback thing. So that's that does kind of affect the lens that we're looking through here. I understand people who would maybe look at it and say, you know, only getting six games this year going into the playoff, only getting one Michigan game out of the two years he played. Like there are some little things like that that when you start comparing the those those very Ohio State specific accolades that other guys have done that he, you know, not winning a Heisman, although he was a finalist. And if he had had last year's season this year in a full season, he, I think, would have maybe won the Heisman Trophy um, or at least been a very, very, very strong contender and and certainly a finalist. So, but I, I think you're right. And I think that it's going to be, you know, one of those things where, like you say, 50 years from now, I remember growing up as a kid and people talking about like Barry Sanders and Walter Payton and all these great running backs and all these guys would be like, no, you got to, you got to be kidding me. Like you, you never saw Jim Brown. Like it's going to be one of those things where, because it was just such a small period of time here that I think it kind of came and went. I even wrote about that this week. Like it seemed like this two years that he's been here, it came, came and went so fast. Like, like it just seemed like he had just committed and now he's gone. That Jim Brown analogy is probably a pretty good one, especially given the way they're recruiting quarterbacks right now. So I think uh, I think I want to do this piece in the next eight days. And I have I've been thinking about it, but I've only been thinking I haven't been researching. And you guys know, I mean, it's like I've covered this for 16 years now, but I didn't grow up in it. So I don't want to pretend that I'm the foremost. I'm not Jack Park. I'm not, I'm not even you listeners. I mean, a lot of you listeners know more about the history of Ohio state than we do because you've grown up with it and it's been part of your life for a long time. I think I would argue at the moment that Justin might be the fourth most important player in Ohio state history. And I might make a top 10 list. And here's what my rankings would be at the moment. One is Chick Harley, because I don't think you can, you know, it's he's basically created Ohio State football. So I don't know that anyone's ever going to really get past Chick Harley unless you just look at it a different way. Two, to me, is the Super Softs as a group. And I don't know that you can pick one out. And I would be okay saying number two as a group is the Super Softs, because they're the class that that saved Woody's career. And if for some reason it goes south for Woody and he doesn't win a national title with that group and they aren't the guys who kind of come in at a time when there's some questions about Woody and reestablish what Woody is, then Woody's not Woody. And if Woody's not Woody, Ohio State's not Ohio State. So like that, that was a fulcrum. And they did that. Three is Archie. And and if someone wants to argue that Archie should be one, I'm here for it. I mean, it's the only two-time oh, Heisman. Yeah. You know, only two-time argue. Heisman winner. But – you know, I could argue too. It's like, okay, well, I mean, if you take Archie out as great as he was, if you take him out, as long as you have sort of like the tradition of Ohio State football starting in the Chick Harley era and the Woody era remaining as it is, as great as Archie was, I think you don't necessarily change the path of Ohio State football, right? That he's an all timer and he's did something that nobody else has done. Mm. 
But so I, you know, I don't want to have that argument in this podcast. But I think I don't know who else is ahead of Justin. Because now national title strengthens that without a national title, then you start saying, like, what are like I think you can make a Maurice Claret argument. And anytime you're making an argument about, hey, we hadn't won a national title in 34 years, and you add a special player who does special things and allows something to happen that hadn't happened in 34 years. I mean, who are you going to say off the 2002 team other than Maurice Claret? I think you can make that case. Maybe. And if you want to start throwing in somebody from 14, I mean, again, is it, is it Zeke? Is it, I don't know exactly, but I think Justin for what he's done for this team in the modern era of showing what the Ryan day vision is. And I think it will depend what happens after this, but if Justin is viewed as okay, Dwayne did it, but Justin established it and showed what the quarterback position at Ohio state can be. And now you start lining up the recruiting talent they have lined up here. And if that pops, like people think it's going to pop, it's all going to go back to Justin Fields. So that I think would contribute to a historic context like that. If it lines up that way, because you've got to do more than just be great. Cause if we're just being great, I mean, you, I mean, you, you can get to a hundred Buckeyes who are all like, Oh, well, they were the best guy on the field at their position for in college football. It's like, yeah, they're all over the place. So you've, it's gotta be a little more than that at a place like this. So that's, but that's what I'm talking about that. Like that's what's on the line for this guy of where he could fit in the whole thing 50 years from now. I, 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 as you were saying for, I was assuming that you were kind of baking in some measure of, of what it could mean in the future in a way, like it's almost like four, but there's a lower floor for where he could be in a decade. If, if things don't ripple forward, like we expect them to, but I think you're right. I think he is kind of, he's the guy that's going to be looked at as kind of setting the stage for an, an era. I don't think Dwayne Hoskins is on this list, but I'm trying to come up with a case for him that would lower Justin on the list. That Dwayne would be um, ahead of Justin? No, just that I, what you kind of addressed oh. like smallly in the fact that people saw Dwayne throw 50 touchdown passes and it made Garrett sign his name to a piece of paper and it kind of started all this. Um, but Justin kind of solidified it and made sure it wasn't just a one-off thing. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out if there's more, if that case more favors Justin or Dwayne in a way that Justin's on the list, no matter what Dwayne's not on the list, but depending on the case you make for Dwayne is whether I agree if Justin is four or if he's eight. Yeah, no, I think I, I understand what you're saying. It's, I, I think about this a lot because I grew up in Pennsylvania and they call Pennsylvania the Keystone state because it was the second state to sign the thing about how to be a country or whatever. So like Delaware was the first state. And then I also lived in Delaware and everything in Delaware is the first state, but it's like the first state. And it's like, okay, well, somebody does it first, but like, if nobody does it second, mm-hmm. kind of the person who does it, does it first sometimes doesn't matter the thing. So it's like, you need the person to be like, oh yeah, that thing that happened. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do that too. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth are like, oh yeah, now it's a thing. So like Justin's a bit like the keystone of that of like, okay, well yeah. now he made what Dwayne did. Justin made it real. And now that it's real, now it's rolling. I talk now that it's real. Now it's rolling. Boom. Coming up on seven years. Um, so anyway, I'll write that later this week and people can agree or disagree. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with funny things about people swearing at me, swearing at me, praising Steven and being drunk on texts. Um, and then we'll What's get to more. 
Yeah, I believe me, I would not take this abuse if you weren't paying for it. So uh, we'll run through that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We didn't want to do this off the top because you're not here for shenanigans about three dudes. You're here for football. But, like, this is just the worst. Not, it's not the worst. It's the best. But I went to bed at 6 and slept till 12.30 and have just been, like, off all day, like half asleep all day. And I know I'm going to be like this for the next three days. And I didn't have to travel. Steven, what, what was your, from the end of the game – end of the podcast leaving new orleans working flying trying to sleep what's your day been like so what we got done potting at what about 3 30 central time i believe yeah, something yeah, like around that. Eastern. yep okay so i got done writing and everything about 4 30 4 45 central time so five almost six o'clock in the morning eastern time um finished up packing and left and went to the airport because I knew if I sat down on anything comfortable, I was going to miss my flight. Uh, got there. Thank God for a pre-check because I was not standing in that long line and going through all that stuff. Got there, was half asleep, waiting on the plane, the board, um, sitting next to Jonathan Cooper's uh, mother and father, who were also half asleep. And so shout out to them. Uh, we get on the plane. The plane takes forever to take off for whatever reason. I sleep for the 45-minute flight wake up, get off the plane, go exactly right to my next gate to get on another plane and sleep for another 45 minutes and then come home, sleep for 20 minutes and then finish writing some recruiting stuff that popped, that happened today, Tristan Lee committing and Jaheim Singletary committing to Ohio State uh, and then have had alarms set for basically every 90 minutes so that I was awake when it was time for us to pot again. But you did get to sleep this afternoon then? You did sleep yeah, yeah, in yeah, spurts yeah. in spurts in spurts. Yeah. It's not, yeah, this is not healthy sleep, but it's no, no, no. It's not normal human functions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah, I'm, restless. I'm very off. Yeah. Tristan Lee committing to Clemson today. Singletary committing to Ohio state as expected. Yeah. Top tier defensive back from Jacksonville, Sean Wade, neck of the woods. Uh, Nathan, how's your sleep? I mean, I got a solid three ish hours i went to sleep around the same time you did in fact i had finished writing my justin fields piece and then happened to look at twitter and saw that you had just tweeted out something you had written um the dabo piece that you wrote this morning so i was like um well i guess i might as well tweet mine out (laughs) so um those those tweets are going out at like 6 a.m and then uh it was funny because a lot of times we'll when it's stuff that goes up at like 5 6 a.m when people see those timestamps, obviously we write those the night before the day before sometimes, and then we can set them to publish then. And this time I was finishing that up and I'm like, I go to set it to publish at 6 AM and it's like 6.02. And I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I can just hit publish. Yeah. I don't have to do the embargo, but, um, uh, three good three hours. And then, um, I finally just crashed on my flight, my connecting flight from Orlando to, uh, Columbus, I passed out when I w- woke up or right, at the end of the flight, the woman sitting next to me, it was like a family. And she's like, Oh, hope we weren't too rowdy for you. And I'm like, I hope I wasn't snoring too loud for you. Cause I, I was, I don't remember that flight. Like we just took off and then we were landing, but I'm not going to, it's not anything that I'm going to really complain about. Cause I know that, that we have a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who would have been there if they could have, and under the circumstances uh, they couldn't be. And we were fortunate enough to be able to be in the venue watching that with our eyes. Um, that's always something we shouldn't take for granted. 
but especially this year of all years. I mean, there were tens of thousands of people who wanted to be there and, and, and weren't allowed to be because of the circumstances. And um, I hope that we helped like convey what was actually what we saw and heard last night. I just like people to understand why we might be more incoherent than usual. They need, they need to know. Oh, oh yeah. you mean why the podcast was <laughs> a little left last night? <laughs> oh, they're definitely, I mean, this is part of the deal, but like after bowl games, after big 10 championship games, I mean, I've been on enough of these podcasts at three o'clock in the morning where it's like, and then what did you guys think of Braxton Miller? He was really good. And it's like, we're just, we're incoherent. We're sleep deprived. We're not drunk. We just seem it. Some of you were drunk. Though. Some of you, some Great of segue. you were drunk. Some of you were drunk. Texts from live after the game when we got more than 500 responses when I sent the call out from the 210. Please read this on the pod. Ah! That was a text. Someone pays $3.99 a month to, to send that. Um, from the 843, best night of my life. That was uh, a sentiment expressed by more than a few people from the 804. I have tears of joy running down my cheeks. The sweetest ever Uh, from the 513. Will Ryan day start the presser with duck you Dabo. Sorry. I've been drinking, but this is cathartic. Um, That's again, that's, that's why you're paying for this Uh, from the 330 question for Doug. Would you have any bones not broken after taking the hit? that Justin Fields took. <laughs> um, I imagine you're like uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character in uh, what was it? Unbreakable. The guy who like is. I, I don't know that one. No, I'm not Shyamalan. Never mind. Oh yeah. He's uh he can't be broken. Well, the thing well, about me is I am. Have... He's like very brittle. He's like, oh. like Bruce Willis is the superhero. And then like, who can't be harmed. And then like Samuel L. Jackson is like the anti of that. He's oh, a guy that like, yeah. if you walk up to him and like barely touch him, he just like disintegrates into dust or something. Oh yeah. 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 No, no, no. That's me. Oh yeah. no. I should be that guy for Halloween. Um, but I do think I have a nice little mid roll. So I don't know if fat would protect you against the crown of James Skalski's helmet. But if it would, I probably would be in a little better position than Justin Fields to absorb that blow. But uh, I'll have to ask Justin if that's the case. From the 330, uh, Ohio State played a decent game, but think what Coastal Carolina would have done to Clemson. That was funny. (laughs) Also, I am currently in quarantine with COVID, and 2021 is still infinitely better than 2020. So uh, sorry for that guy who, or person, woman who is in, uh, in quarantine with COVID. We hope you get healthy and feel better. From the 513, I, I have to – I you guys weren't listening to this, but this bothered me too. This is my favorite win since 2014 against Bama. Just awesome. The D-line was incredible. Did Kirk Herbstreit keep mispronouncing Combs? Yes. So, come on, guys. For all the ridiculous times sweating Venables, you can't even get Combs' name right. Anyway, so happy right now. It has now reached the point where I'm questioning the fact if I've been mispronouncing his name for the last eight years because we thought it was Coombs at first too. And then like on day two of him being hired, when you say like, Hey, how do you say his name? Or how do you say your name? You find out it's Kerry Combs and Kirk Herbstreet, the whole game said Coombs. So Nathan, you are Steven, you rewatched it today, right? You noticed that. Yeah. He did it a lot and it was a little annoying. He kept calling Haskell Haskell. 
Yes. Um, yeah, Kirk Herbstreit has a problem with names. I, I just I've, I've I, noticed this. And I know Nathan and Herbie are in a war, and I hope that they can make up after this season and, and rekindle their friendship. But I think Herbie's really good. I mean, there's a shock there. The guy's been doing it forever. I think Kirk Herbstreit is an excellent an- analyst. I just thought it was weird that he kept calling him Kerry Coombs, and especially Ohio State of all schools. Like, I just I, – I seriously am going to double-check with Kerry Combs, the next time we get him on a Zoom, I'm going to say, Kerry, it's Combs, right? And if he says, actually, guys, it is Combs, my heart will shatter. I just, I hate that kind of thing. So I hope, I hope it's Combs. Um, from the 513, Doug, could you please give us a rant about the amount of camera time ESPN gave Trevor Lawrence? He is truly getting the Tim Tebow treatment. Steven is a Steven is uh, Steven is ready to rant. Steven, go ahead. Yes. Oh my. It, I'm glad. I'm glad Ohio State fans got to see this because I've been watching Clemson games all year, and this has been the the deal with ESPN. They have just fallen in love with Trevor in a way that, through mo- no fault of Trevor's own, you start hating them a little bit because it's like, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it, we get it. Talk about the games. I'm talking about all this other stuff. You don't have to bring up all this good stuff about Trevor every single time. Can we talk about football? And now that ESPN is calling a game that also has Ohio State in it, fans got to see what has been irritating me. And it's even worse on the ACC network. This was a, a, a actual ESPN, not just ACC network. It's 10 times worse than what we, what we heard on Saturday. So I do think this happens. I think when a guy hits as a freshman, as Tebow did, as a fill-in, you know, situational quarterback for Florida, and as Trevor Lawrence did, 10 times more winning a national championship as a true freshman quarterback that the net, the networks get to know them and they believe that the audience gets to know those guys. And in a, in a sport where so much of it is, is transitional all the time. I mean, when they're doing NFL stuff, they're promoting Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, right? Because the audience gets to know those, those guys. College football is different than that. And so it's like you do the coaches, you do Saban and Dabo and guys like that. But when you have like a player who's been around for a couple of years and when you spot it early, it's like, hey, this guy won the national title is a true freshman. He can't go anywhere. You latch on to them because you think it's an identifier for the audience. And, and I think it works both ways. I think for a lot of casual people, or normal, you know, regular fans like you, it's like, oh yeah, that guy. I know that guy. He's the guy with the long hair who looks like the 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 the, well, the girl at Ozark. Yeah, that guy. He's excellent. He's gonna be the first round pick. And they just lean into it. Tebow obviously was a crazy ex- example of that. But then like the diehards, it drives you nuts. But like they think it works. And so like Justin, because he was a transfer and they were you know a little uncertain about him, how good he was going to be as a sophomore, he doesn't get the same kind of treatment. Like watch out. I mean, like if C.J. Stroud wins the job next year and is Ohio State starting quarterback for three years, by year three, the world may be sick of C.J. Stroud. If Quinn Ewers comes in here and wins the job as a true freshman, people think he's the next Trevor Lawrence. Like, just get ready because people might hate your quarterback, Ohio State fans, as much as non-Clemson fans hate Trevor Lawrence right now. And it's not the kid, right? Like, that's the thing. I think Trevor Lawrence just comes across as like a real normal dude, just like Justin is. He can't control how he's covered. And so it's just one of those – that's who Quinn Ewers gets compared to. So you might be on the other side of that Ohio State fans at some point where it's like, okay, he might be getting that kind of treatment, especially if he plays early. Let's do this quickly. This is more of the cursing. From the 314, Doug, please keep telling me how Ohio State won't do good. 
nine and three, taking Clemson to cover. I don't know if I actually know that I'm too happy to remember, right? Doug Curse is alive. So that was in all caps, by the way. That that might have been inebriated, but it's okay because you're paying for it. And I didn't, to be fair, I didn't take Clemson to cover. I took Clemson to win. But this person, I think, is a little more direct from the 805. F you, Doug, and your BS predictions. But they didn't say F and they didn't say BS. They they wrote out the whole the whole just thing. A, just a little more direct? That's a, a, just a, little a, bit a more. slightly more direct. From the 513, Doug, why do you hate Ohio State? Please keep being against us. From the 216, here's my comment. Thank you, Doug, for doubting this team. That's in all caps. Please do the same for our next game. Um, from the 937, as a great analyst of college football, will you acknowledge your massive miss? No, I'm not, I'm not going to acknowledge that. Why would I do that? Um, from the 614, can you have bad feelings and text them to us leading into the Bama game too? From the 704, yeah, all you guys thought we were going to lose. And then uh, these two comments from the 423. Steven is the man. Doug and Nathan suck with their predictions. And from the 513, Steven, shove it in Nathan and Doug's face. So you pay for the right to do that. That's practically, I mean, like they say, it's like, it's a feature, not a bug. It's not, that's what we should add in the thing. Instant news and analysis, surveys. And also you can swear at us, mostly Doug, when his predictions are wrong. $3.99, it's like the dunk tank. $3.99 a month to swear at Doug. Steven, we've, we mentioned it in the post-game pod, but this is your time to take uh, as much of a victory lap as you would like to take for correctly picking Ohio state to win. And I'm going to guess, I don't know nationally. I'm not sure. I I don't even know nationally who I saw pick Ohio state win. Pete Thamel picked Ohio state. I'm not sure whether the national people did. I think so. Um, On the beat, people picked Ohio state, you know, sometimes not all those predictions are based on analysis. And sometimes they're just based on sometimes people on this beat, just pick Ohio state, which is fine. Cause if you pick Ohio state, you're right. A lot. So I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying they were right. But we also have a person on this podcast who was right. Steven, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, I started to feel validated with my decision when it was 14 to 14. And I think I texted it. that This is going to be a shootout. And I think this is the only way Ohio State can win because watching Clemson all year, and I think I brought it up at one point, their offense isn't that explosive the way they run it. It's obviously talented. Trevor Lawrence is great. Travis Etienne is great. And Mario Rogers are great. But it's not – Ohio State, Alabama have offenses that kind of cater to they might have a 35-point quarter if things get rolling and then you're just out of it. And we Ohio State had a 21-point quarter. So we've seen that. Clemson doesn't really do that. It's just more gradual. It's just, oh, we scored 10 points in this quarter, and then we scored seven in this quarter, and then we scored 14 in this quarter. And I don't think that when you're – you don't want to shoot out that way. You eventually have to have a moment where you break out. And I didn't think Clemson was possible of doing that. I think I thought at some point it was going to get slowed down and Ohio State was going to get some key stops, and that's where they would win the game because they would get the stop, and then they Justin would throw a 56-yard bomb to Chris Olave or a 50-yard bomb to Jamison Williams or something like that. Now, I didn't – I thought it would be a closer score – Clearly, I thought it'd be 42 to, to 38 and not 49 to 28. But the idea of the more explosive offense is going to win in a stage like this is what I was kind of banking on. 
Good call. Good call. Put that in the bank for Stephen Means, baby. Um, you uh, are free to shove that in our faces for whatever extended period of time until you do something wrong. I think the best way to go about it is just be humble, you know. Oh my God. I, you I know like nothing about podcasting. Listen, act like you've been there before, you know. No, no, that is not it at all. Oh, when uh, you're a champion, you don't need listen, I expect to win. I was talking about the body part bracket with my family at dinner the other night, and I asked my teenage daughter, my oldest one, what she thought the one seeds would be. And she said index finger and I started screaming at her. And then we started having a conversation and I said, I said, this is, we're not going to waste this content. And I've now, I've now realized that, that every conversation is content, but I have like a 45 minute discussion about where an index finger should be seated in the body part bracket that we could probably get to maybe on Tuesday. You guys think on Tuesday? We definitely should spend some time on that between now and the national championship game. How about we just make that the picks pod? We don't even discuss Alabama. Just talk about thumbs. Thumbs got to be above index finger. I got to slip that in. Right. If you're going to go digit, it's got to be thumb. Every freaking animal on the planet has an index finger. Oh, well, I don't know. I I think Justin kind of proved that the thumb probably goes down on the list because he threw threw almost 400 yards and six touchdowns. he had a rap on his thumb. So see, see, you guys make fun of me. That was forty-five seconds of fantastic <laughs> podcasting just now. <laughs> no, of, was, of sleep-deprived nonsense. <laughs> that was riveting. The case for the thumb from Nathan was rock solid, and then Stephen comes in over the top to say a thumb doesn't matter. It was awesome, and and Nathan, to be honest, that was more juice than you have exhibited at any point in this podcast. And it was in defense of the thumb. I'm telling you, man, there's something to this question. Number six. I don't know if we'll get to all of them from the two one six. Does this game cement Ryan day as the number three best head coach only behind Saban and Dabo. This has been a very interesting evolution because every off season, this is one of those things that national people do. It's a great piece of content. You rank the best head coaches in college football. And there have been multiple people lists that I've seen where it's like Ryan day this past off season wasn't on lists because people would say something like, well, you've got to be a head coach for at least two years or something like that, that there's some caveat because it's like, how do you judge somebody? Okay. Ryan day made the playoff in year one. He didn't lose a regular season game, but I don't know. How do you rank him in that? And if urban had done what Ryan day just did on Friday night, I mean, it would be like, Ur- and we're getting ready for urban and Saban again. It'd be like, Holy moly. I do feel like, National college football, and maybe it's the average fan more than the analysts because they know how good Ryan Day is, but he's not a household name at all by any stretch. I mean, I think he might be still one of the more like anonymous coaches in college football in his own way for his for the fact he's only lost one game. But I mean, if you're making a list now, it's year two, what he's done. I mean, Lincoln Riley, okay is up there, but also I don't know that has Lincoln Riley ever done on a big stage. I mean, he hasn't not on this stage, right? Lincoln Riley hasn't won a playoff game. Has Lincoln Riley done what Ryan day did on the biggest stage? Of course, Saban and Dabo are the top two, but man, Nathan, I don't know if Ryan day's not third. Like who is Brian <laughs> Kelly, like Kirby smart Lincoln Riley. I mean, I like who, Mario Cristobal, like I like, 
Well, it's it's Who okay. Is? Like it's it's but it's an interesting discussion you get into because it's not if if you're looking if you're judging like NFL head coaches where the playing field is so even all 32 spots in it more or less then it's very easy to just go by wins and losses and who goes farthest in the playoffs and those sorts of things. And those things absolutely should be a problem, a a, a big factor, but how do you compare? Honestly, how do you compare Ryan day and the coaching job he does to Pat Fitzgerald and the coaching job he does? I think that's more difficult, even though they're in the same conference, those are kind of worlds apart. I mean, and I would think if I were doing this, I would say, okay, you have a, a good program or whatever, right? Like you have a good program where you believe that a great head coach has a chance to make you a great program and you have the next four years. So it's not about, you know, so you'd take Saban for the next four years. You'd take the, it's, it's not about like 10 years. It's not one year. It's what I try to give you like, so recruiting matters, game plan matters, culture matters. It's not a one year thing, whatever, but that's how I would try to think of it. And then say, now, now we're having a draft. And you, everyone's starting with like good program that can be great, equal resources. And now we're drafting coaches. So who would you pick? And that's how I would make a list like that. I think you make a good point, Nathan, because it's not just who's won the most games. Steven, go ahead. I think I agree with that 100%. But also you almost compare guys the way you would compare football positions. Um, you don't look at Wyatt Davis the same way you look at Justin Fields when you're saying who's the best you know, football player at that position. So it's at, at the level Ryan Day is at in the world we and the expectations that come with being the Ohio State fo- football coach. Is he doing that better than what Pat, Pat Fitzgerald is doing at the level of what Northwestern and the expectations that come with being Northwestern's football coach? That are you are you maximizing the the, the job you're at? Is how you have to look at this. And by that, I yeah, I think he's probably number three. Ohio State should be a top five recruiting class every single year. I mean, they're they're fighting Alabama for number one classes right now, and they have the number one class in 2022. Um, they should be competing for national championships. Well, they've made the playoff his first two years, and his only loss is to the guy who got to the national championship game last year. So with all these – I mean, is, are guys developing in the NFL talent <clears> – <throat> Exclude the 2017 class because those guys were maxed out guys by the time he became the head coach. But some of these Nicholas Petit Ferrer is playing awesome. Justin Fields, that's all him. Garrett Wilson is literally all him. He's here because Ryan Day went down to Texas and got him. Look at the and then I mean we're seeing guys develop. Gary Miller is starting to come into his own. Paris Johnson looked awesome on Saturday and his limited snaps and I'm pretty sure those were his first meaningful snaps. He looked awesome. I. That's the left tackle next year. Um, I don't even think that's a conversation at this point. So all of those factors, he's excelling at all of those places. Now, Patrick Gerald is probably excelling in all the places that he is at, but it's not at the same level. So I don't think you can put him above a guy who is competing for national championships when the other guy is basically at this point every other year trying to win the Big Ten. All right, that's like a off-season podcast, and I think we can get into that. Yeah. And once Ryan Day does or doesn't win a national title, we'll have an even more firm standing on on having that discussion. I wanted to touch on it, but that is an off-season uh, discussion, as is this one from the five one three. Did this just shift the power slightly from Clemson to Ohio State and the college football landscape that you guys periodically discuss? This was as big of a statement win as two thousand sixteen was a statement. Loss, Stephen. Again, we this is this is a two-hour Wednesday pod. 
in February. It might be the first big Wednesday pod after the season ends, frankly, because we will, we love to try to assess Ohio state standing in the, in the national college landscape. How big of a deal is this win over Clemson in that discussion, Stephen? Uh, it's a big deal to say it right now, but I think it's about as big of a deal as it was when they beat Alabama in 2014. But then the years that kind of followed, there wasn't really a follow-up as far as winning national championships. So I think if this team was a national championship and the next year, maybe they're playing in a national championship game or the year after that, they win another national championship. I think it means more than it just being this one off of finally, we just got this monkey off our back. Yeah, and I don't want people to think we're moving the goalposts here. Beating Clemson is a big deal. I don't think they flip positions necessarily, though, because, again, as Steven says, it, the reason Alabama and Clemson have that space to themselves is they it's one of the two of them winning the national championship like every year back in, until LSU interrupted that last year. But So that's, I think, again, that next step for Ohio State. I think they've pulled themselves – if they're not up onto that tier, do they have to beat Alabama to get onto that tier then, I guess is the question we're asking. Yes, because then all three of them have two national championships in the last decade. In the, in the, no, in the college football era, playoff yeah. era. So I think Ohio yeah, State wins yeah. it this year. They're all on the same playing field. Yeah, that's yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, don't, I think if they don't, then they're still not. I think that's right. And I they're think- like at the door trying to convince the bouncer to let them in. And they're closer. I mean, whatever they were, they're closer than they were before beating Clemson. Yeah. But did they actually pass somebody? Uh, it's a fascinating discussion. I mean, if you thought that they weren't the top three, I mean, they're they're absolutely in the top three, right? I mean, no and, and I guess they probably mm-hmm. were already. I don't know yeah. if anybody – at Oklahoma would have disputed that or anybody from LSU who's like, Hey, listen, we had a lot of great years. And last year we had one of the best years in college football history. Or if somebody at Georgia would say, well, if George was in the big 10, we would, you know, like if there was any way to dispute that, I think there's no disputing that anymore. So there's that the line in the sand is even deeper. And now you're just having that top three discussion. And I do it absolutely that's where beating Alabama is a huge difference or not. I'm going to say I had a Trey Sermon question. I just think I think we might have a Trey Sermon Sermon podcast in us at some point this week because the transformation is so unbelievable. I don't want to do it in five minutes. Uh, I want to do this instead. From the 614, will the team have anything emotionally or physically left for the next game? Also from the 614, a different 614. Should we be concerned about the Buckeyes' ability to duplicate this kind of effort, both physically and emotionally, on January 11th? They are exiting this game pretty banged up, and all of their focus has been on beating Clemson thanks to last year's loss and Dabo's comments. I would think Dan and his staff will have to work hard to refocus the team on a new target and figure out how to prepare their bodies, how to prepare while their bodies are recovering. Meanwhile, Bama is right where they expected to be, and I would think much healthier. Nathan, you said this kind of came up in the post-game discussion. Is that right? Or Steven mentioned it. Didn't someone say that this was a Steven little bit said, of a topic? Yeah, Steven said yeah, the yeah, players yeah. were asked about it. Yeah, the idea of emotional fatigue, because this is such a – this is basically what the entire season was built around, and it wasn't in the national championship game, and now you have to ramp that back up. And I think they, they kind of, the, the vibe they gave off is they understand that. And I, I agree with that because the, 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 who the opponent is. If it were Notre Dame, then they – might be a letdown. It might be a situation where we've seen in the Big Ten schedule time and time again over the past years where you get an emotional win over Penn State and then you go lose to a Purdue 
or in, you know, or you lose to an Iowa or something like that. I think in this situation, because it's a team that you also maybe have some emotional, you know, obsession with, it's a little easier to ramp it back up, especially since it's so close. It's literally next week. And so Garrett Wilson kind of brought that up, that he kind of likes this schedule where it's not really time off. You just keep to this routine. This Even if it is a weird COVID routine, you get to keep on schedule instead of sitting around waiting around for a game. I think I'd rather play Notre Dame being not as into it than I would play Bama being into it though. Right. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, one's clearly easier, but I, I'm just the idea of the motivation behind it, whether obviously the easier opponent is Notre Dame, but I'm just saying the, the probably more motivated to play Alabama, which is both things can be true. So Michigan's Michigan, but their clear obsession had become Clemson. And now they go back to the team that was their other obsession before they beat that team before. But it's like, yeah, the only, the only team on the national stage that could compare to Clemson is Bama. So they do get both of them, as we've talked about all year. Nathan, is this, is this a tough thing for the coaches to try to get these guys back up for this, do you think, in some way? I mean, I think the, the important thing to remember is, and I, 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 I know why Steven is citing some of those other examples, but it, it's different when you're coming off of a big, like one of those emotional wins, and then you're just playing – whoever I mean this I think they've wanted to win and it wasn't just beating Clemson it was that last year they thought that was a national championship team or at least a team that should have been on the field in the national championship game to decide that heads up against LSU and that got deprived of them and and it happened against Clemson so there was a lot of stuff that was obviously personally melded into that but I think some of that is still hanging out there too that there's there they know that a really talented group of guys came through this program last year and didn't win a national championship. And it's kind of left up to this group that's left over from that to try to, to fix that a little bit and whoever they, they, they were going to have to play a great team to do that. So I feel, I think this is actually maybe it's going to be a little bit easier for them to, to figure out the emotions this week. And I think Ryan day has done a fairly good job of that. Like, I mean, this whole year has been about managing emotions and, and figuring out emotions. And, you know, you're watching teammates who, you know, have you know, desperately want to play in these games, be deprived of the opportunity to play in these games, even though they feel fine because they test positive and things like that. And you've got to like all those things. There's emotion in a lot of that, all the emotion they've dealt with all this year, all the things he's talked about, you know, he's he, Ryan day almost going back to the end of the regular season when they were talking about whether they should be in the, playoff and he kept coming back to this like character argument and I thought that that was erroneous I didn't think their character had anything to do with why they should be in the playoff or not but if they do have that character this is the week to prove it I think this is the week where where character is going to matter uh even as talented as Alabama is character obviously doesn't really necessarily help you not give up 300 yards of receiving yardage to Devonta Smith but it can't hurt I do think if Clemson was their Michigan Usually after they play Michigan, they're going to play for a trophy. And same con- same concept here. You just beat. It's a very you know, good you, comparison. The team you just really obsessed over, and now you're going to go play, play for another trophy. So it probably helps. And I don't know that that I don't know that I've ever felt like that they weren't up for those games. Now they haven't played well in a couple of the first halves in the Big Ten championship games against Wisconsin. Yeah. Both times when their quarterback was hurt, but. JT in 17 and uh, Justin Fields in, in 19, they, they did not come out sharp, but then they got it together, right? Mm-hmm. So if that is an indication, it's like, I, 
I don't know. I, I always thought that was more about like, oh, they're kind of their dudes were off a little bit and they had to adjust to like not completely healthy quarterbacks. It is a very good question. I think it's a good way to to add some context to a Ryan Day question this week of like, Ryan, is that, you know, as because they're going to get a lot of emotion. You, Steven, you're saying they already got it after the game. Th- this yeah. is going to be a, a something people talk about, the emotional fatigue. How do you get back up? That's a good way. That's a that's a good way to frame that. And I think we can have a good discussion about that. All right. Another quick break. We'll be back with Tom Herman, Jim Harbaugh, and can they beat Bama next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. This is not a question from me. The last questions are about can they beat Bama, and we're going to touch on that briefly, and then we're going to touch on it in depth for the next eight podcasts. Tom Herman at Texas got fired on Saturday. Jim Harbaugh, by all reports, is on the verge of an extension at Michigan. Tom Herman in the last four, his four years at Texas, he only got four years at Texas, was 32 and 18, and he got fired. Jim Harbaugh in the last four years is 29 and 16 at Michigan, and he's getting an extension, probably, if he wants it. It's, it's All the reports are the ball's in his court. I will say there are two powerhouse programs that are good jobs that are not quite top tier jobs maybe right now but they're good jobs there's probably more pressure at texas um they both are are not are living a you know on past glory more than they are on current results but i would say similar situations and it feels like both things that are happening feel wrong (laughs) to me (laughs) that I think it's a little weird to fire Tom Herman for Steve Sarkeesian because who replaces you matters. If I was, if you were telling me you were firing Tom Herman for urban Meyer, then it's like, okay, I get that. Or if you're whatever, but also giving Jim Harbaugh an extension feels weird to me. So my opinion on this is, Coaches in these situations should be neither fired nor extended, which obviously is not sensible. But Nathan, is this a reasonable comparison to think of Texas and Michigan in the same light? And of the two situations, Harbaugh extension, Herman firing, which one makes more sense to you? You know, it's a really good question because I see where you're coming from. But at the same time with Harbaugh, uh, with 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 Herman, it's it it's either you fire him or you don't. But that's it, it's really only one decision. Like, are you going to fire him? If not, you're just keeping around a coach who's winning games for the most part. With Harbaugh, you either have to extend him or fire him, or he has to leave. Like, I don't think they could go into a, another lame duck year. I think there had to be an extension. There, I feel like the decision is more urgent there. Um, and and I don't understand why extending Harbaugh. If they're extending Harbaugh, I think it has to come with the understanding that there have to be there has to really be some introspection there and there have to be some structural changes to how they're recruiting and to how they're they're building the program because they're it's it's not at the tier that they're supposed to be. They they they're again, maybe I'm I'm just biased by having grown up in an era when Michigan was was kind of more like Ohio State, but I, I 
I, I, I see a, a, a program that's, that's less than what it's supposed to be and what well, less than what it should be. Not just, not just like vaguely supposed to be, but like, it seems like the resources are there. The following is there in theory, even the coach is there. Like, so why are why are they stuck in this lower tier? Texas clearly has a better recruiting ground, but I do think they're similar in that they both have a rival that is succeeding to a far greater level than they are. That Ohio State is to Michigan as Oklahoma is to Texas. And when you say, okay, well, you know, we're kind of the same. We're in the same conference. We're both traditional powers. We both basically try to do the same thing. Why are they so much better than us? Steven, where are you on this? I think the Texas decision was easier because even in a normal year, this decision would have been made. Um, and uh, to the point of the rival being so much, I think Texas should be what Oklahoma is in that conference. They should be the most dominant team. In that conference. Michigan shouldn't be what Ohio state is. And so I think it's, that's a more difficult decision to make there when, yeah, you're losing to your rival, but I mean, Ohio State's one of the three best programs in the country, and they should be one of the three best programs in the country. Oklahoma shouldn't be doing what it's doing. Texas should be doing that. And you also have that recruiting background, and you also lost the last hope that maybe Herman had of turning that around in Quinn Ewer. So you, it, it was almost at this point you had no choice but to make this decision. Now, did you have to make it for the guy you hired? No, but you had to make this decision. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Steve Sarkeesian's the answer. I mean, he didn't work out at USC. He had some off-field issues. Uh, he coached at Washington for a long time. He and Herman are around the same age. They're both offensive guys. Herman was not getting it done in recruiting and keeping, you know, in recruiting in-state Texas talent. So, you know, Sarkeesian's real hot, very, very hot right now with the way Alabama's offense is operating. And for everybody listening to this, you've probably seen the reports, but he is sticking with Alabama through the national championship game. Of course, this is what everybody does now. I mean, it's the best, the best advertisement for Texas football is for Steve Sarkeesian to go run an offense that looks awesome on national TV. So um, it's not going to affect this game. It shouldn't affect it much. And like coincidentally, last time Ohio state and Alabama were playing, Tom Herman was Ohio state's offensive coordinator and he had been hired by Houston and he was sticking around and trying to coordinate an Ohio state offense. that was trying to win a national title and they did. And now here we are six years later, and he's already been through the cycle enough that he's fired. So um, very interesting. I just, uh, the sport is weird. The sport is weird right now. And that there's as much as the power five conferences put so much pressure on the group of five teams to compete in terms of resources and money they don't have basically, right? That we talk about all the time, all the teams in the Mac are somehow trying to compete with Ohio state. And it's like, why are they, that's just not where they are. They shouldn't have to worry about trying to make their facilities look like this or whatever, just because Ohio state did it's nuts. I, I think there's even, there are enough tiers within college football that Alabama Clemson and Ohio state made Texas do this. And I guess Oklahoma to your point, Steven, it's like Texas is good, but like, that's not good enough because they want what the elite of the elite have. And that, that, group is so tiny that texas wants to be in it but right now man it's like three or four teams so like that's your threshold it's like hey we're not one of the five best teams in the country so you're fired and it's like wow that's crazy but ohio state once upon a time fired real bruce for going nine and three every year they weren't Mm -hmm. terrible 
they weren't. And then he was beating Michigan too. He's five and four against Michigan, but he wasn't competing for national titles. So it's also not a shock. So, you know, it's not our beat. Good luck to everybody. I just thought it was weird. Last question. Actually, let me, let me tease this. These are the ones that I'm saving for a survey. And I want to talk about it after we do a survey this week. And we have a bunch of pods coming. Obviously, we're going to do it every day. I loved this question, and we're going to get into it. And I've heard lots of people bring this up from the 513. Is the win enough to be happy with this season? Or does Ohio State need to beat Bama to make this season great? That thing of like, there's been a lot of vibe out there of, were you so focused on Clemson that vanquishing this team that they had never beaten before and avenging that loss. And if Alabama is just a monster, is this like a, would you still view this as like, man, it's a great season. If Ohio state doesn't win the national title, I think that's a really interesting question. We'll do a poll on it. This one I liked. I think I know the answer to it, but I like it from the five, one, three, Ohio state just dominated Clemson. It wasn't that close. I hope that loss beats at you for a long time. Weasel. And I was like, Man, I can't believe this texture is calling me a weasel because yeah, I actually about you too. Wow. My fan every fantasy sports team I've had for 20 years, their name is the Lamer Weasels. I have a Lamer Weasel hat. I love the weasel as a mascot. I think it should be used more often. But then I realized he meant Dabo. So I felt a little better, a little better about myself that the loss is not beating at me, it's beating at Dabo. Poetic justice in so many ways. My question is, where does this rank among the Ohio State wins in the 2000s? Which is like a great question. And I have my answer to that, but I'm going to send that a survey and we're going to talk about it later. And the other thing that we're going to talk about a lot, it's the number one thing from the 509, do you think Wade will shadow Devontae Smith during the national championship? How are they going to cover this guy? And I think part of the answer is nobody covers him. You got to not be, you're not going to be able to cover him. So you have to be able to beat Alabama despite not being able to cover him. I don't think the answer to this question is, oh, this is how Ohio State's going to cover him. It's like, oh, no, he's going to have 200 receiving yards and like three touchdowns. So what are you going to do to still win anyway? But that is something that we will talk about a lot in the build up to the January 11th national championship game. And very quickly, you guys have not booked it, but you are both headed to Miami for this game. I briefly considered it, but I'm not doing it. I I feel kind of weird, but I'm not doing it. And I hope, I mean, I may end up covering a national championship Mm -hmm. college football team and a Super Bowl champion Cleveland Browns team without attending a single game in person this year. But what if that was the curse? Like the moment Doug stopped going games, all the Ohio teams start winning championships. When, when was the last time Ohio State won a national championship? And then the question immediately after the game was, "Oh, could they beat the Browns?" What? Well, what was that? What do you mean? When was the last time that they won a national championship? And that wasn't the question. Yeah, right I mean, I feel like yeah, it's... yeah, no, for real. I mean, you don't want to know. I can show you the first season of this podcast where we talked about whether the 2015 Ohio state Buckeyes could compete with the Browns. And actually like, and I know that's a crazy thing. It, I mean, they could have, I mean, like, honestly, go look at that team. It's like, Oh, they had 10 picks in the first three rounds. And look at the talent on that Browns team. That was an actual question. So anyway, I'm not going, these guys are, have you ever been to Miami? Either of you previously? Never Miami, but I've been to Florida plenty, Orlando plenty of times. I've not been to Miami. No. Well, you'll get to see it even in a pandemic. So have a safe trip, um, but that's not coming yet. 
This is coming now. Question 10, then we're out of here. From the 330 from Josh in Orville. I'll give it to you straight, Doug. What are the chances against Bama? I know this was the game we wanted, and I know anything can happen next Monday. So what are your thoughts? And a more specific question from the 440. Will 49 points beat Bama? So let's talk about the 49. Because, again, I thought the 28, the way the game played out, I thought the 28 was more remarkable in the end. Um, I don't know that they can count on holding Bama to 28. So will 49 do it, Stephen? Or does Justin Fields in this offense, do they need to be thinking about 52, 56, 59? I mean, how, how crazy – I mean, this offense, this Bama offense is impressive. How, how high could this game get in the scoreboard? 49 points can't beat Bama, but the way they got to 49 points can beat Bama, if that makes sense. I th- because what we got to remember again is you're up. So that fourth quarter, you're running clock. You're not snapping the ball till five seconds left, and you're giving the ball to Trey Sermon, who's getting 12 yards because he's running violently as can be. But I think the aggr- aggressive approach, the play calling, the, 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 the sync, the, the way that Ryan Day and Justin Fields were in sync – especially in that second quarter, that doing that twice in a game where, you know, you put together a run of scores and you're at 55 points or 50, I don't know, maybe pushing 60, maybe that's the shootouts. Who knows? I I think that can beat Bama. Yeah. Similar to what Clemson did in 28 in the 2018 national championship. I think they have the, the, the personnel that very similar to what that Clemson team had they have the talent at quarterback. They have the play caller. That t- style of game, that's where Ohio State can win. Nathan, what are you thinking about this game at the moment? I mean, 49 points would have beat Alabama the other night against Notre Dame. I mean, Notre I, uh, it, yeah, that was the, weird. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's not taking into like, consideration teams you know, kind of play a little different when you're up and you're holding the lead and you're trying to you know, manage clock. That's fair too, but I also think that Ohio State's offense—it's not all just you know. I mean, they can they can grind out longs. I mean, I I think forty nine is enough. Forty nine is enough points to beat Alabama. What I would almost think? I would almost say if Alabama if Ohio State scores forty nine points, they win. Yeah, I mean, Florida, it's more likely it's more likely they win than not if they score forty nine points, right? Florida scored forty six points and they lost. That's the. You know, so that's the argument there. I'm very curious to see where everyone's going to be coming in um, with the score predictions on this because it is, I mean, it is way stinking up there, man. Like, it's nuts to think about um, how good that Alabama offense has been, but also how they've given it up defensively. That Like, they have allowed, as you said. I mean, Florida put up points. Old Miss all year, everyone's talked about that, put up points. Um but they've got a chance. Nathan, are, are you – where are you on just, like, thinking about the game? Like, is there any doubt in your mind? I don't know. It's a seven-point spread. Does that sound about right to you at the moment? I, I You know, <laughs> I think when we were sitting at the uh, food court and, and Stephen was renouncing his vegan vows uh, in the Orlando airport right. on right. whatever right. day that was, Thursday. Relax. And I think I even said something like there's, like, of the four ways this game could go, which would be, like, close win for either team and a blowout for either team. The one thing that I was like, sure wouldn't happen would be an Ohio state blowout of Clemson. So I think my, I need to like recalibrate my whole antenna after that game. 
Yeah, uh, they have a chance. I mean, like for sure. So if if I would have said, I mean, I I think I would have said before the Clemson game, I would have probably put it at like sixty five percent chance of a Clemson win before that game. Um, even though I wasn't feeling great about it, I mean, I, I didn't think it was like ninety ten or anything. But I don't know. Like to me, right now, I think it's probably like. 60% chance that Bama wins, like 58% chance that Bama wins. Like just because we've seen this Ohio state, I'm still not exactly sure what this defense is going to do. This Ohio state defense is going to do against Bama, but the idea of winning a shootout is absolutely on the board. So Najee Harris, I think is the key because Ohio state played one of the two best running backs and he did nothing when they play Clemson. And so I think a lot of it's going to ride on that because like you, we all kind of agree here, Devonta Smith's going to do whatever the heck he wants to do against that secondary. But if they take away one of their top five Heisman trophy finalists from and being the, a factor, how does that change things? And the BAM offensive line is significantly better than the Clemson offensive line. Right. Which is part of that. So you got to figure that out. But um but you got, I mean, you absolutely have a chance the way Trey Sermon's playing, the way the passing game showed how they can hit big plays and the effort the defense put out there. I mean, I, I think everybody listening to this absolutely knows that Ohio State can, can play with these guys. And we'll spend the rest of the next eight days figuring that out. So we'll do one every day. I mean, that's just the plan. Why not? Maybe they'll be a little shorter on some days. I mean, I always say things like that, and they never are. So um, that's the plan. Hang with us. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. And I'm just going to keep reminding you all week because I feel like it's like a favorite of you guys. Even if you think the texts might bug you, I mean, they're playing for the national championship. So try, I mean, you're not bugged by it now. And we don't like overload you with like ding dong stuff. It's like important stuff that we are coming across or like when they're having news conferences or information we're gathering and opinions we're forming and surveys we're doing. I mean, it's, it's kind of a good time to do it. 614 350 three, three, one, five. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Buckeye talk podcast and reading cleveland.com slash OSU. All right. We'll be back tomorrow for Steven and Nathan. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye talk.